This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. And welcome to Land Parties, episode 38 from the Las Vegas Review Journal, brought to you by Bet Online. I am your host, Ryan Smith, and with me as always is my co-host, Lucas Egan. Lucas, how was your weekend, my friend? My weekend was good. I got caught up in playing Super Mario Bros. 35 on my yes. Switch, and I quickly became addicted to it. I played it way more than I should have. Didn't quite get first. I got a couple third places, though, but it's really fun. How was your weekend, Ryan? That's a solid start, dude. My buddy actually was playing it. I was watching him play it uh, here the other day. I forgot that it was even coming out. I need to get on it. I need to get that game. It looks like it's a ton of fun. Uh, myself, though, I was I've been back on that Metal Gear Solid Five grind. I'm totally back into it. Into it. Uh, the story is fantastic. So I'm just kind of grinding my way uh, and and playing that game. Enough about us, though. We have a fantastic guest. Uh, you may know him as the G Man in the Half Life series, Michael Shapiro. Michael, how are you my friend what's happening oh uh, not a whole lot just gaming and, and, and living in, in this world that we we are in uh how have you been my friend how's things going it's going all right it's going all right we live in interesting times and um and there's a lot of exciting stuff going on this year and uh and uh it's going all right how are you guys how are you guys doing it's it's fall it's autumn it's a new season I know. The, the, the time is just absolutely. I mean, we've been in lockdown since uh, uh, like mid-March. So it's crazy to think that we've just, you know, it, this has just been the world for the last like seven months. Uh, so, you know, we're getting in again. My birthday, my buddy was or my birthday was actually at the time of uh, when this releases would have been tomorrow or yesterday. Uh, but my birthday is tomorrow. So I love fall. I love October. I love the spooky season. Uh it is fantastic. Uh, I like the, we... the time travel of that of that construction. <laughs> My birthday will have been tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think I messed that I up. Followed a bit. It. I followed it. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, before we sit down, though, and talk with Mike, we want to get into a quick topic, guys. I'm going to Lucas. Uh, please tell us. I think this is absolutely huge news. It is, and it broke the internet for a little bit, it seemed like there. We had a new announcement for Super Smash Brothers, and Minecraft Steve is joining the battle. This is huge. Obviously, Minecraft is such a huge property that everybody knows what it is, even if you don't play it. And I'll just... Just for the record, I love Super Smash. It is always my favorite fighting game, and I just love how it's become a celebration of gaming and extended beyond just a celebration of Nintendo. So this is huge news. It, I mean, it really is. And, and like you're saying, I mean, Minecraft has been around for, what, uh, 10, 10, 11 years. Uh, it's got a huge fan base. So I, I think this is a super smart move on Smash's part. Just bringing that fan base in and saying, hey, not only are you getting... Uh, um, 
Steve, but you're getting a multitude of characters from this world. I think I saw like three or four uh, new levels that will be Minecraft themed. I saw Steve like doing building and I mean, it just looks like a fun character, not only to be able to play, but now you've got all these, these, and it's, you know, a lot of younger kids play Minecraft. My daughter plays Minecraft. She saw, I showed her the trailer yesterday and she freaked out and said, we need to get it, daddy. Um, so I'm just like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm about it. I'm about it. But this is a really smart move. I know that there was a lot of people though, that were kind of salty about this. I think, you know, again, this is going to be a huge exposure, I feel like, to the fighting game community. I don't see how this hurts them. But again, the Internet being the Internet, somebody's got to be salty about something. So you had a lot of fans that were mad and upset that that this is the next character that's supposed to be coming out. I think on a business side of things and from Nintendo standpoint uh, and, and, and just that IP, I think this is a brilliant move. You know, for the record, there's still other fighters on this season pass, so there's still mm -hmm. more opportunities. But the issue you're always going to run into when you open this up to the gaming world is someone's going to be mad that their favorite character wasn't picked. So that's kind of the downside to that. But I mean... Super Smash is such a beloved game and to see them opening their doors and mind you, this is another example of Microsoft and Nintendo playing nice, which we're seeing them do mm -hmm. a lot more than in the past. So that that is also a pretty interesting development as well. Exactly. And I think that's the most important part about it is it it's colliding all these different worlds together, both the Minecraft and and Smash worlds. And then, of course, the fighting game community world uh, is thrown up in that mix as well. I, I mean, this is a smart move. And yeah, I, I think I think Steve was one of the original characters that were planned out from the jump off and then ended up getting shelved. So it's like. I mean, he's always been up for consideration. Uh, I don't know why people are salty about it. I think it's fine. It's nice, too, that that it's not only Steve that you get to play. You have a variation of Alex. Uh, you could use a zombie, Enderman. I saw, like I said, I saw a building in different tools i thought it was a fun way their their trailer like it showed a smash uh, uh you know they were they were playing and then mario gets knocked off and then breaks through some bricks and then steve comes smashing through a zombie blows up like it was a fun little trailer that they did for this i think this is fine i don't i don't understand you know again people are gonna people are gonna be upset about something one way or, or the other. I think this is going to be a lot of fun, especially for the younger uh, demographic that that plays Smash. This is smart move, smart move, Nintendo. And I do, you know, you're right, Lucas. We have been seeing more and more of Microsoft and Nintendo playing nice. So it's kind of, it's really nice seeing them open up and, and kind of build more of a relationship, starting to talk and work together. I'm telling you, man, I've been saying it. Microsoft has been making some power moves moves y'all they have been making some serious power moves and they're not again they have this bigger vision and we're starting to see all these little pieces come into place i'm loving it i am i am absolutely ecstatic to see what the future uh, and what microsoft has in store for us yeah, and you know, one thing that I would like to say about Nintendo is they do a lot of things that are confusing or annoying or frustrating sometimes, but man, this is how you support a game post-launch, right? The Just the variety of characters that they've kept adding that have kept the attention on this game. I mean, there are a lot of fighting games that get released that the support 
at least characterized, starts to wane after a little bit, and Nintendo just keeps on going. It keeps bringing players back, keeps bringing new players in, and you know this is one of those instances where Nintendo is just doing an amazing job keeping that interest in a game long after its initial release. Well, and that's what I like about Nintendo, though, is that they don't care what anybody else is doing. They've got a plan and they do things their way. And and I love it. You know, for me, it, it has been the fact that it was so proprietary. The only place you could play Nintendo things is on Nintendo to see them kind of opening up a little bit. I think they're also seeing uh, some of this shift, the, the shift in cloud gaming and people wanting to be able to play their games more and interact Uh outside of just whatever you know you nintendo only has nintendo and that's the only place you can play those characters but i mean you've got samus in uh in the mix as well so seeing them play nice like that is fun and i think that as gamers that's a win-win for us Definitely. And you know what? It's great because, you know, we've mentioned this before that the console wars are changing, that they're really not even a thing almost, at least right now in its current state, Mm -hmm. because they're all going to different goals. So why can't they work together? Why can't, you know, Microsoft winning does not mean, doesn't have to mean Nintendo has to lose. Everybody can coexist. They can all reach their separate goals. And as gamers, I mean, this is just more fun for us. It's a better world when they can coexist. Yeah, exactly. It, well, not only that, but this obviously with the addition of new characters that always changes the landscape uh, on a competitive level as far as with uh, Smash tournaments and things like that. So it'll be fun to see how, you know, the addition of new characters coming in and how it makes people have to change their strategy or maybe one character comes in now that completely nullifies a different character. Uh, that's always a, a fun aspect of it as well. So It'll be cool to see. Bravo. This is this is a fun announcement. It, it was cool to see that they're going to be incorporating Minecraft into uh, Super Smash. I, I think, you know, let's go ahead and take a break real quick so we can sit down with Mike and talk about everything. Mike, we'll be right back, guys. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your local favorite restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And welcome back. Thanks for listening to those short messages. I am super, super pumped to get into this interview. The Half-Life series is one of my favorites of all time. It's, It's on my Mount Rushmore. So, Mike... If you can take me back to the beginning, what was the original pitch of G-Man to you and and how did they kind of sell that role to you? 
I mean, this is going back a ways, right? Like, I think this is the late 90s when we first started working on it. And it, it was part of a landscape in Seattle. I, I, I lived in Seattle at the time. And Seattle was, I think it was really one of the hotbeds of creating, you know, um, gaming. And at that time, people were probably calling it computer games as opposed to video mm-hmm. games, you know, that kind of thing. And um, or arcade games, even. I don't think those were still around. I remember seeing videos of those. But but they would sort of show us these things. And there were a bunch of uh, there were a bunch of really terrific writers and and game developers. I mean, I was doing theater there. I was doing music. I was doing um, voiceover stuff. It was a really uh, uh, fertile time, and there was a lot of um, inventiveness. There was a lot of really creative energy to it. One of the things that got me really excited about Half-Life in particular was that it was clear there was a tremendous body of narrative underneath it. There was all this story and the world, and you know, I think that... You know, people, as soon as they got a look at it, uh, immediately appreciated how much was going on and how much there was to dig and discover. You know, it's not the kind of thing where you spend 15 minutes on it and you have the entire lay of the land. So this was a, a world that was uh, really, really neat to to inhabit. And also it was exciting to work with these guys because they were just getting it started at the time. I don't even know. I'm trying to remember. I feel like it might have been Sierra originally rather than Valve that, oh. uh, that first brought me in. Okay. I don't know which one's the distributor and which one's the creator, but the, you know, the experience of working on it was immediately distinct from a lot of the other um, scripts that I'd worked on before. It, it, really, it really stood out. So how did you kind of make your shift then for, I know that you said that, uh, you know, you came up doing theater and things like that. How did you make that shift going from theater into voice actor? I'm not sure it was much of a conscious shift. I mean, for starters, uh, uh, my entire life, I've always, you know, I, I, I was the little kid who made funny voices. Like uh, that's always been kind of part of my, part of what I enjoyed. And, uh, and I think that probably just, was one aspect that went hand in hand of enjoying theater and, and live performance. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I went out to Seattle and, you know, um, with a number of friends, uh, we all started a theater together and we were kind of working 24 seven. We were producing year round. Uh, we had a good audience building up. We, you know, that was kind of, uh, going on, really coming together. And I don't know, at some point in there, uh, I started working with a wonderful agent who, was sending me out for whatever, for the theater or film or television. But she said, you know, I think you might want to try this voice thing too. And I was like, sure, that sounds like fun. And, you know, I started working on, uh, I'm trying to think what the earliest stuff was. I mean, there were, there were companies out there. There was a company called Humongous that did like Spy Fox and Pajama Sam. Um, Headbone yeah. Interactive did a ton, ton of great stuff. I did something with, uh, with Splash Studios. I played this... Uh, uh, I, th- I think I played a, a gi- I mean, I know I played a giant talking and singing rat named, I think, <laughs> Mephisto. And it was, you know, it was like, and that was at the time that was super cutting edge because they were doing yeah. green screen in real time. Right. So there was this whole like, I mean, it was, that's why I say it was just this hotbed. Everybody was excited. All of the tech was in Seattle. Right. I mean, this was, mm-hmm. this was before, I think now a lot of production I mean, I, in my experience, a lot of production is is happening through uh, through California and through um, New York, yeah. and Atlanta. But at this time, 
you know, I did a, a bunch of stuff with Microsoft and um, and they would just have me over to Redmond. Like I would go over and, you know, the coders were working, the, the people putting together the game were working on the same, you know, in, on the same campus in the same building. Like over there in that cubicle is Microsoft Word or whatever. And over here in this cubicle, it was a painting program. It's like a creative artist program. I played a character named McZee, who was this mm-hmm. wild like joyous, crazy, purple faced, uh, <laughs> like your wacko guide host he, who, who like leads you on a roller coaster. It was super, super fun. And that, that kind of, uh, that kind of energy, that kind of creative, uh, juice, uh, you know, was the groundwater under all of that activity. So half-wife was, was, was one of the most fertile, uh, things to come along, I think at that point. And I feel like it did you know, sort of um, raise the bar for introducing narrative, you know, alongside action, alongside, you know, alongside single player. You, you, there's this, you know, I used to, I, a whole nother sort of hat that I used to wear professionally is I used to be a game designer, not not a video game designer, but a, a live action in-person social oh. experience game designer. It's kind of a neat, neat stretch. And we would have these, um, I worked with a company out there called Entros and we designed, it was a brilliant guys started that place. And, um, and we would have these kind of, you know, existential conversations about what makes a person want to play a game. What engages someone to want to, you know, play longer or invest more deeply. And there was kind of, uh, a debate that would go on about, well, is it the experience itself? Is it the gaming moment or is it the story underlying it that drives you? And I always found, I mean, that's probably not surprising because I've come, you know, in the world of theater storytelling, I always thought the story was like a super motivating part of it. You know, if you, if you give me the name of a character and, you know, you show me a little cartoon, that's how it used to work. They would give you like a sketch of the character and maybe one or two facts about the character. And then they'd say, okay, here's the dialogue. Go ahead and audition for it. And the mm-hmm. more story you could build up, for me, the more story and, and uh, details and quirks, um, the more compelling uh, and the more fun I would find it to be. Do you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Definitely. That's, oh, that's super cool. You know, speaking narratively, early on, how much of of the overarching story did they tell you or did they know or is that something that you guys figured on as the series kind of went along well i mean i don't know if i could tell you exactly what they knew when they knew it um you know not out of privacy you know not because i signed a non-disclosure but because um i think i think the creatives of valve are like constantly (laughs) inventing (laughs) inventing stuff that they're that they're kind of seeding in um and I think that they told us what we needed to know to play the scene uh, knowledgeably. You know, like um, I remember we were doing an ending scene probably from Half-Life 2 and he filled me in a little bit. He didn't, I mean, I think they're, you know, they're cautious uh, about, you know, not, not revealing too much. I think even even I mean you know they they make it clear and I've always tried to honor the 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 requests that we not share too much about it but they're they're pretty cautious so they kind of tell you enough so that you understand what's going on and then honestly I would generally supplement that with my own kind of uh you know whatever they call it an actor's secret you know like I'll I'll sort of decide some things um 
going on in the background as well. And that's what, you know, that's what, that's what the scene is. That's where it's coming from. You know, one part of this, this story that's always fascinated me is before Half-Life Alex came out, you know, we had that large gap, at least in the mainline series between episode two and Half-Life Alex. Sure. When you guys had finished production on episode two, was it your expectation that either an episode three or a Half-Life 3 proper would have started soon? And when did that start to kind of change in your mind that you realized it, it might not come anytime soon? Well, I mean, part of it is if you're just, you know, if you're just tuned in to the game, you're you're reading about it, right? Like there's so <laughs> there were so many stories mm. uh, that, that, you know, and 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 my understanding is that actually uh, some some development got underway and then, you know, it, it got it. They decided not to 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 release it or to finish it. I mean, it was a couple of it was always a couple years between things. Once in a while, they'd say. Uh, keep this on, the, you know, like, I mean, they'll, they'll, the way it works is they'll check your availability and they know for, they know that, that they need to check it quite a ways out. So you kind of have a, um, you kind of have a sense that something's coming together, but even sometimes you'll get, and I'm not saying this happened with Half-Life, but this has definitely happened to me with other games and with animation projects. They'll check and they'll say, listen, is he available in whatever, in June? And uh, that's January. And then when you get to May, they say, actually, we're looking at September. I mean, that's, that actually literally just happened on a, a project that, that, um, that's going to drop next year, um, an animation project. And, um, so you think, you know, and then you don't know. Um, and my, uh, I just kind of, my, in my experience, you know, my experience with acting stuff is you just sort of, you, you know, you throw yourself into it as hard as you can and you, you sink your teeth when you get the chance to, but, um, things change and they get delayed and they get, you know, revisioned and, um, uh, you just kind of focus on the projects that you're working on and the people that you're working on, the, the people I get to work with from Valve are really, you know, they're, they're good spirits and they're super fun. And they like, you know, I went on a, um, one of the one of the recording sessions we did for Half Life Alex, I happened to be some of that we recorded remotely. Like I was in New York for part of it, and I was somewhere else for a while. But one of those sessions, I happened to be in Seattle, so I went over to um, to Bellevue to record it at their studios. And they just walked. You know, they were like, "Hey, everybody, Mike Spart." You know, they would just do these kind of introduce me, and we walked through like the um, like the, the 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 visual designing department, right? So not 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 the coders, the the people that were designing the worlds and there's as you know a lot of very talented artists there and everybody's digging what they're doing man it's just like people are pumped you know the the designers and the and the creatives and the producers they're they're um it's it's a really wonderful uh community i guess is a fair word for me to 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 have a even a you know a a a short-lived you know a, a tangential relationship to i really i really like the people that i've that i've met over there and they they really enjoy what they're doing it's definitely a project of the heart i mean it's a, it's a juggernaut too obviously but um <laughs> but the but the people involved there care a lot about it to get to come back to this character in half-life alex what did that mean to you to get another chance and 
you know, what did you think of the story? I mean, now that it's been out for a little while, I mean, we won't get into any major spoilers just in case people still need to experience it. But what did you think of, of that experience in, in making Half-Life Alex? It was so great to, you know, to, to put my hand around that briefcase again, you know, to, 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 uh, just step back into those shoes, which as you saw, <laughs> my God, they stepped up. He's got a much nicer suit now. G-Man has. <laughs> um, uh, it really, I mean, uh, it was kind of, um, two different ideas at once actually, because in one way it was, uh, I was so looking forward to it, you know, to, to jumping back in the world and the story and the characters. And then in another sense, it just felt like no time had passed. Um, because I, I I didn't see the script ahead of time, you know they're very very um, careful with it. So I got into the studio and I got my lines, and just like right away, it fell all back into place. In such a, I really like that character. I mean, I, I mean, I love Barney, and I I love a lot of the characters that I've had a chance to to portray. Um, but G Man is just so delicious to to spend time inside. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to, I wanted to ask real quick. First of all, I love hearing the fact that that story about Valve and going in there and seeing how passionate uh, the team is about Absolutely. the story and the game. You know what I mean? There's nothing better to hear, especially being from the consumer side of things, to hear that they're just as passionate as the people that are playing the games and, and love it. Yep. Yeah, dude, I, I love that. Uh, I, I wanted to ask, though. As far as the character of G-Man, how how do you think from from the acting standpoint, how have ha, has the character evolved in your eyes and and how you portray uh, G-Man? Yeah, that's an interesting question actually, because I it's one that I've thought about. I think again, I, I do want to be respectful of people who may not have you know had a chance to play through all the way. I feel like one of the things that that we've come to understand is is that it's not clear that G-Man is working for anybody. Mm. And and I feel like at the beginning, it was like, you know, he's this kind of emissary, this very powerful agent provocateur of, of these forces. And then you think, you know, who the forces are. And then you realize, oh, it's somebody else. And, you know, is he working, you know, like what's his relationship with the combat? Like you're sort of trying to uh, understand what motivates him. And the longer, uh, or not the longer, but the more, you know, the, the with each additional iteration, uh, iteration of the of the story, I began to feel like uh, G Man has considerable agency of his own, and I mean, he always was messing with anybody that he's with, right? Like he's messing <laughs> with Gordon, and, and you know, like, but, uh, uh, but. But there's a different level when you begin to see that there's a long game, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and that that informed G Man. I, I, it's funny because when when I think of this game, I don't think of like what happened most recently. I think of the sort of arc of it, and because of that, I actually feel a substantial relationship to Barney, to Barney Calhoun. Let's say Barney has played important roles in some of the games, put it that way. And, um, and I, I really enjoy him. And I think he's, uh, you know, he's, he still owes everybody a beer and, you know, he's like, (laughs) he's, uh, uh, and such an enjoyable counterpart counterpoint to G man in, in, uh, you know, early on, um, 
it was so much fun to, I mean, in that first, I mean, in Half-Life, in the original Half-Life, I think I played a lot. I mean, I played those characters, those two characters, but I think I was like, I don't know. I, I mean, I was like a Vortigaunt and I was like, they, were, <laughs> they had me playing uh, so many, you know, it was probably random screamer number five or whatever. Too. <laughs> it, it, it's hard to say. You know, I, th- I think when Half-Life Alex came out, it was a surprise up to up to par in terms of quality. I mean, an amazing experience, an amazing story. I think, you know, for me as a fan, it was surprising when they announced that game. It was a very pleasant surprise. I think that always brings up questions about the future. Is this a series that you would like to continue in the future? And... I mean, where where do you think it can go? We've seen it go to VR now. Where what are, what else do you think that the Half Life series can go to next? I'm not going to dodge your question. I'm going to answer it, but I want to ask you <laughs> first. No, I am. I will. But I, I, I'm curious first. What was your experience? I guess when you heard that it was going to be released VR, but also I mean, it sounds like both of you have had a chance to play it. What is? I actually have not. Oh, you haven't. Like, have you seen it? I've, I've seen yeah yes i have seen and I, i'm kind of familiar with it yeah like people's speedruns or whatever did you what is your experience of hearing that it's released and that you have you know that the only platform is vr right now you know it was i mean first it was just shock because i just did not expect frankly to see the series again at least not a, a mainline entry uh story-wise so a lot of shock and surprise initially there was a little bit of worry only because vr hadn't yet been adopted as widespread as say like an xbox or a playstation um but it lends itself because of of the focus on story you know i think it was one of the first great examples of how engrossing a story-driven game can be on the VR platform. Story like, and discovery. Right, like, exactly. You, know, like you, you think you know where you are, and then you find so much more about the location, and then elements of how the story unfolds hinge on what you come to experience in, in the environment and in the other characters. It is my experience of it. Yeah, 100%. It, it almost requires a change of thinking to discover, you know, how to get past a certain part that that we are not trained on. So it required almost a different approach, which was really cool to see. So you're saying that that then the VR aspect of it very much plays into how the game plays. So like, would it work on like non VR or, or the VR part of it is kind of built into the storyline of the game? I feel like Half-Life 1 leveraged the technology that was available to tell the story and to and to make the gaming more exciting. And I feel like they did it. I feel like they've done that at every sort of iteration, every every major release version. And I don't think this I'm not saying this had to have been released on VR, but I think, you know, it's kind of like um there's a lot of 3D movies and I don't see why they're 3D. I mean, yeah. it's like, oh, no, here comes the whatever the the thing, you know, the car is going to come right at the camera, you know, or the, the knife is going to come right at the lens. And it's like, OK, that was a startling moment. But um, then once in a while, you see a movie that is just really richly exploits the medium. And you say mm-hmm. to yourself, OK, that went hand in hand with the story I just heard. There was a reason they did it. It it delivered. 
it would not have been the same. There's a lot of 3D movies and you watch them and you're like, that would have been the exact same if I hadn't watched it in 3D. Right. I don't think that's true of the of the version of Half-Life Alex that just got released. Now, that doesn't mean, and there's certainly been a lot of chatter about the possibility of, of Alex being released on a different platform. And there have been a lot of people asking for that. And um, that's, you know, that's not a decision I pretend to be privy to. That's something that I'm sure Valve has, I mean, there's, I'm sure they've thought about it because there's been so much conversation. But right. I, don't know what, I don't know what their plan is for that. But I think people want it. And I think it would work. I think it would be fine. But I'm just saying that I feel like the story comes through more because I feel like they leverage the immersive aspects of it. And I definitely, you know, they, they, they gave me a run at it. Um, when I was, when I was there, they were like, do you want to try the goggles on? And I was like, (laughs) of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I'd done VR before. And I'd also, as an actor, I'd done, um, as an actor, when you do motion capture, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of equipment to do too. And I'd done a bunch of that. And, um, this was transcendent. I mean, this was, uh, like, and I had, I had had plenty of VR experiences. This was really a whole, whole other, other level of, of immersion. And I think they did a phenomenal job of using that. That said, I think that the team at Valve cares a lot about their audience. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think they had their own internal debates about whether to release this exclusively on VR because they want to avail as many people as possible of the of the of the experience and the pleasure of playing the game. So, you know, put yourself in their shoes as a creator. You want to create a pinnacle experience and you also want to provide that experience to as many people as possible. And how do you do that? And how do you do that looking towards the future? First of all, my understanding is that this game alone boosted the, you know, the, the, the whatever, the per capita VR setup is much higher than it was before. So, mm. you know, people out front on technology are always out front on technology until it's, until it's more widely adopted. That's just, you know, a, a truism, but I think that um, my understanding is that they are very <clears throat> is that is that the the creatives at Valve, the producers at Valve, the game writers, they are very intent on finding ways to keep the audience to continue to provide opportunities for a wide audience to experience Half Life. And I don't think they're unaware of the fact that as enthusiastically as some audience members adopted the VR. I think they're also aware of the fact that not everyone could or did. Valve knows there's a lot of people who are excited about this story. And and I am too. And and I and and I know that too because I hear from <laughs> I hear from people a lot, man. It fills me it it warms my heart. When you do live theater, there you're all right there together, you know. I yeah. I've for years. That's such an immediate experience, but when you do film or when you do you know, if you record music and you send it out and, you know, people are downloading it and listening to the tracks, but they're not, they're not necessarily, uh, it's not like the same as playing to a live audience. And likewise, the, there's this kind of time delay, particularly with a project of this scale, you're working on it months or years ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And so your performance, you're not going to find out until much later how it landed for people. And that's why um, 
that's why it's it's cool you know I, people reach out to me on whatever on you know i get a lot of messages on twitter and it it's like it's clearly it, it's manifest in people's lives in this way that i i just i really admire i really respect because anytime somebody says you know what i'm going to devote myself to this it's not the only thing in my life but this is an important part of my life right now and i'm going to like throw myself into it i think that's pretty cool I think that deserves uh, respect and I appreciate it as a person who had, you know, played a small part in, in helping, uh, you know, I, I contributed to what to, to half-life and I'm honored to have the chance to do it. And I, I really, um, it's, it's plain that, um, you know, from the, from the feedback I get that, that people are, are digging these characters and, and, um, uh, waiting to see what happens next. And, um, and I think there's a whole lot of story yet to tell. Speaking of, of waiting to see what happens next, does, does that mean that, that you're not done with the franchise? Dude. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, um, if I'm supposed to answer that yes or no, I would be very surprised if the answer to that were no. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. I had to. I had to try. I had to try. Honor. <laughs> did Props, you? Uh, <laughs> did you ever? You know, in your mind, have like some wild G-man theory of, of how you thought his story would end that that you just came up with? I truly don't think about his story ending. You know, I don't mean that in the sense of like, um, there's always another sequel. I mean, I don't think he's human. And, and so one of the real pleasures for me about G-Man is his, um, not feeling constrict, you know, sometimes you, you like, you put on a new suit and you're like, oh, it's too tight or it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I can't straight, I can't get my shoulders all the way. I don't think G-Man is ever constricted by the confines of, of, uh, temporal continuity. Mm. And that makes for a lot of fun. I've always loved I have always loved time travel stories. That's why I dug your your introduction when you were like, tomorrow will have been yesterday's birthday of next year. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's awesome. That's awesome. I followed exactly what he meant. And and the reason that intrigues me is because that's true. Like that is a t the fact that we're recording this now and people are hearing it days from now and it's happening in real time at both moments is like that's time travel. Like you, Absolutely. the three of us are, are engaging in time travel right now. And I, I don't mean to suggest that G man's limits are so confined. They're not, he's got a whole, he's got a whole other apparatus and, and understanding of how the universe fits together. But I've always liked those stories. And when it became clear to me that that was a, a feature of G man's um, perspective, on how the the world and the universe work, I was very jazzed. I mean, mm. I think I think that's I, I think I like those stories because they're they are rife with activated possibilities. Mm -hmm. You know, the, it, the the most interesting time travel stories aren't the ones you can see coming. They're the ones right. They're the ones that depend on the fact that you traveled through time. It's not just, oh, I'm going to take a trip there and then I'm going to come back. Oh, I'm going to manipulate this character now and then I'm going to send them forward. I'm going to freeze them and I'm going to thaw them later. Like, yeah, that's fine. That's like, you know, that's pretty straightforward. But when when you really can kind of creatively leverage what you were able to do in the past, but you haven't done it yet, I find those stories really compelling. And I think that's, I think that's at work in the, 
in the Half-Life universe. You know, considering how much time you've spent with this franchise, when you look back on it, did you ever, do by all this imagination, think that when you first started work that, that you know, two decades later, you'd still be uh, working on this series and have the series still be as, as big as it's ever been? I don't think I knew that when we when we did the first game, but I think by the time we were, the second game we worked on for a long time, actually. And so it was clear how substantial the, I mean, it was clear how substantial Half-Life was, how widely, how enthusiastically adopted. But I think by the, by the time we were doing, because there were, you know, I'm trying to think there were like multiple episodes that we did and there were expansion packs and, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, um, and Bob Barney actually sort of had, you know, a featured role in one of those. I think at that point, it felt like, all right, this is cool. This is something we're going to get, a, a, you know, more than one bite at this apple. And that that's always satisfying. I mean, that's just, you know, if you if you do a play, it has to close. But if you find out that it's going to have an, uh, you know, that it's going to be remounted again in, you know, maybe to in a larger theater and with more audience, that's just like, uh, that's pretty great. Or, or the characters are going to be brought back. That theater that we did, it's called Annex Theater. It's in Seattle that, that, that I started with some friends after school. Um, a lot of people were involved in founding that theater and sustaining it. And it's still around and it, it's a really, really terrific place. It does. The mayor gave them a thirty years on medal. Um, I still know a number of the a number of the folks there, but I, I I don't actively work there right now. I did for many many years, and we had early on we had something called the Up and Coming, which was a live soap opera. And one of the things that made it so fun is that. Every episode, you it was a soap opera is what you'd expect, but it was performed mm -hmm. live on stage. And each episode, I forget how many, it we, we went on and on for months. Each each we would just have a. I think we had, we cut it off at three weeks or something like that. It was a short run because we knew there was another episode coming. And with each episode, you got to find out more about the character. And they would, of course, everybody was interdating and you know having secret past lives and i played a character named chet shadow who was a combination lounge singer and former marine assassin <laughs> swear to god that's an amazing name dude chet shadow i know right i i, I did not invent it i did not invent it uh the writers did it was a great writing team on that actually now that i think about it there was actually i i have never I have never put this together, but I have to say there were probably aspects of Chet Shadow that found their way into G-Man because he had mm. this kind of super on the down low. He was he was constantly doing things behind the in the shadows. He was constantly doing things, you know, um, pulling levers of influence, um, even mm. though he had this kind of like out front. I mean, he he would you know he was a crooner he was a balladeer and he performed in the nightclub but he, he also had this secret life which i mean what more do you want <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> what more do you want than to than to live the life of chet shadow yeah so sorry let me ask and uh very quickly are there any are there any uh, projects that you're working on right now or you have coming up in the future yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> um, there's a neat podcast that uh, just released recently, and it's like it, it's a it's a podcast format, meaning that's the platform. But it's really a pretty groovy. Uh, it, it's essentially interactive ASMR theater. Oh, the way it works is 
there are two characters. One who is the voice inside your head telling you what you're thinking. And the other, which is, and that's me, I'm the voice inside your head. And the other is a woman who gives you um, instructions about what you should do. And while you have those two voices playing inside, while you're listening to all of that, your friend is listening to a completely separate companion track. So you're listening to one track and they're listening to a different track and they're perfectly timed. You basically say three, two, one, go and you hit start at the same time. They're perfectly timed to allow the two of you, you and your friend to play the scene out. It's so much, much more complicated to try and describe oh. once you set it up, you're, you're in business and really cool. And I have never come across anything like this that works that way. The a super, super inventive playwright named Jordan Harrison and the theater that produced it is called Playwrights Horizons. Really great, really, really terrific theater in New York City. And they do some, they bring out a lot of terrific, uh, terrific writers and, and productions. They're, they're n not producing right now, but they are doing these podcasts. And uh, Jordan wrote this podcast that basically, it's basically a sort of a, a thriller. It's like a psycho thriller. It's, you know, it's you, you can find it online. I'll put, the, I'll put the link in my, in my Twitter feed. And you, you basically play the role opposite your friend. You could do it virtually. You could probably do it over Skype too. I mean, over um, FaceTime or Zoom or whatever. And um, we worked on that for a while. That just released. That's really, really neat. And um, I've been working on, well, I can't, I've been working on a video game, which um, is going to be very, very exciting for people when they find out it exists because it's it it's it's revisiting something beloved from the past is about Ooh. as much as I can say, and uh, that'll probably drop. I don't know. I, I mean, they don't really tell me. I think that's probably going to drop next. Well, it's going to drop next year. They would have pre-announced it by now, so it's going to drop in twenty twenty one, and um, uh, and some other. I'm I'm doing music and I'm doing um another podcast actually so that is awesome yeah yeah that is all definitely definitely have to check that out yeah whatever whatever i have coming up i'll put it's mike shapiro land on on twitter whenever i've got stuff coming up like i obviously i knew about half-life coming up a little ahead of time and um mm -hmm. about alex and it is so exciting when people finally have a chance to experience these things Yes. Mike Shapiro. Again, I'm a scumbag for, for mispronouncing your name earlier. <laughs> it's all good. It's so much fun to you talk know. to you guys. It really is. Thank you. Thank you. I was going to say, thank you so much for taking the time and, and coming on the show and speaking with us. We really appreciate it. I know, I know Lucas has been super geeked. I am going to play Half-Life is on my, uh, is on my list of games to play. I just have not had a chance. I really would uh, love I will to hear to it. I'd love to hear what you think drop me a line uh, i i, I would Absolutely. love to hear what your experiences of it and 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 i'm interested what you think once you've had a chance to play it about what is your experience of the platform how much of that mm -hmm. is is do you think is intrinsic to it uh i think that the story is definitely translatable um and at the same time i think they do a really purposeful job of of of, of deploying that platform in, in a necessary way so i i'd be interested to hear what your experience is because you're coming into it after the after you know long after the hype has had its chance to subside, you're just going right. to be stepping into an awesome game.
Exactly. Exactly. That is awesome. I'm excited. I am excited. Uh, Lucas, what do you have going on this weekend, my friend? Not much. Probably just play more Super Mario Bros. 35. I'm going to be honest. What about yourself? Nice. I'm I'm on that Metal Gear Solid grind. I'm trying to beat it uh, again. I I have a bet going on with a friend uh, where I will be if I can't beat it by the time the PS5 comes out. That is, and I'm going to be doing it anyway. But I'm going to be donating a hundred dollars to uh, um, Extra Life uh, for the Children's Hospital here, actually out in Las Vegas, uh, over at Sunrise Hospital or not Sunrise. I'm sorry, St. Rose Hospital. So I'm going to be on that grind. Uh, but there's no problem. Uh, with that even if i lose because gotta gotta help out the kids so that is gonna do it today here over at land parties guys again thank you so much for being on mike we appreciate it thank you guys out there uh, for listening to us and you know what it is we love your faces The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. <laughs>